Good evening, church. Welcome to the first life class in the month of November, the penultimate month of the year, our month of discovery. You are going to make great discoveries in the truth of God's word this month, and it's going to make you free. Through the discovery, you will enter into recoveries and you will be discovered. God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We give God all the glory. Welcome to the month of November. It's going to be a great, great, great month. I want you to stay tuned. I believe that the series that I'm going to be teaching this month is pivotal, is extremely important, and I want you to be part of it. Tonight, I'm laying a very strong foundation. I'm teaching on spiritual warfare, and it's going to be good. Amen and amen. The text for tonight's teaching is taken from the book of Joel and chapter 3, verse 9 to verse 11. Joel chapter 3, verse 9 to verse 11 of Joel chapter 3. It says here, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Proclaim amongst the nations. I take the first verse again of verse 9. Prepare for war. In this prophetic book of Joel, the clarion call is clear. Prepare for war. Prepare for war. In the historical journey of the Israelites, they were often engaged in battles. They were often engaged in warfare. But this is in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant. Um, and we understand that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, these are types and shadows while the real substance is Christ. But I want to let you know that even right now, there is still a clarion call for warfare. But it is not as of old, it is new. It is under the new covenant, it's inside the New Testament. Our warfare under the new covenant is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual entities. Uh, uh, but if under the new covenant, as we understand, we are already victorious in Christ Jesus. The question then should be, why do we still have to war? What is this warfare all about? This series, this month, is going to be a masterclass on spiritual warfare. And tonight, I'm laying a firm foundation by answering the question, why we war? Ask your neighbor now, why do we war? Why do we war? Why do we war? Why we war? Mighty Father, I ask that you send the anointing that makes preaching, teaching your truth easy, that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women that are listening to me your living word, and that by reason of that living word, that great truth, they will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Help me, O oh God, to do no injustice to your word, but to rightly divide it in the mighty name of Jesus. Give us uh, fresh discoveries into the truth as regards our spiritual warfare in the mighty name of Jesus. Cause us to step into the victory 
that indeed has already been secured for us in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you. People are going through challenging situations even right now. I pray that as they receive this teaching, they will be liberated and they will come into uh, the true freedom that there is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, I do pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm laying a strong foundation and I'm going to take some text to lay that foundation. Listen to what the Word of God says in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. It says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle, a public show, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The first thing I want you to notice in this text is the tense of the text. The tense of this whole text is past tense. It's telling us what Jesus has already done for us. It's not telling us what Jesus is going to do. It's not telling us what Jesus is doing. It's telling us what Jesus has already done. It says that we have been made alive together with him. It says that we have been forgiven all of our trespasses. You are forgiven. I don't know what, where you've made a misstep, where you've made a mistake, where you've gone wrong. Even today, I want to let you know that you have been forgiven. It's letting us know that he has already wiped out all handwriting of requirements against us, against you. Every handwriting against you has been wiped out by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Another translation says that all debt has been cancelled by Jesus Christ. You owe nothing anymore because Jesus overpaid. He paid in full for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I love the latter part of that portion of scripture where it says that he has disarmed. He has disarmed principalities and powers. He has disarmed principalities and powers. He has taken their power away from them. He's already, he's not going to, he has already disarmed principalities and powers Uh, and this he did not do privately you know sometimes you could beat somebody up in private and nobody gets to see it the scripture says that he didn't disarm the principalities and powers in a private matter manner in a secret um, room somewhere he did it publicly it was a public spectacle of disarming principalities and powers so that there were many witnesses to the fact that satan and his hordes have already been defeated satan and all of his hordes have already been defeated when did Jesus do this? When did he defeat him? Now go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 8 to verse 10 we read, therefore he says, when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This is quoting from Psalm 68 and verse 18. Now this, he who ascended 
what is it what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things this scripture is talking about jesus he's saying that he that ascended is the same person that descended when jesus died upon the cross he descended into the lower parts of the earth and there he defeated the enemy and took from the enemy the keys of hell and hades, life and death. He descended and defeated him and then he ascended. And as he ascended, he gave gifts unto men. Therefore, this is why on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished because he knew at that point in time, once he died on the cross, boom, it was finished. The die was cast. The devil was going to be defeated and he was defeated. It was here that Jesus defeated and disarmed all principalities and all powers because the only the only authority, the only power, the only legitimacy that principalities and powers had over mankind was the debt that mankind owed in sin. Now, Jesus fully paid that debt of sin. So therefore, principalities and powers were disarmed. They no longer had any legal or legitimate right to be able to operate in our lives, in our, in our, in our space anymore. They are illegal because of the price that Jesus has paid. Oh, my goodness. That's so sweet to know. Uh, I'll read another scripture for us to really understand our state, to really understand where we are and where we start. A popular scripture that I so often um, quote, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are already blessed. Note again the tense. He's not saying who is going to bless us. He says who has blessed us. This is past tense. He's, he's already blessed us. Can I prophesy? Can I decree? Can I rem remind somebody this, this Wednesday evening or whenever it is that you are watching this teaching that you are already blessed. You are already victorious. That's what the scripture says. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, then in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to verse 6, we read that God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By Christ, by grace, have you been saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Christ has raised you and me. He's raised us up and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. Your spiritual reality is that you are seated in heavenly places. When you read in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 uh, that led into that chapter 2, it says that he, he has been raised from the dead above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, above every name that is named both in this present world and in the world that is to come. And now we are seated together with Christ 
above all. We are now the head of all principalities. We are above all principalities, all powers, all might, all dominion. Somebody should be getting excited right now. Somebody should be so happy right now. This is your spiritual estate. This is your spiritual reality. You are seated above all principalities and powers. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings in uh, heavenly places. Now, this is wonderful, and these are new creation realities that we must be established in, rooted and grounded in. But the question is, if all these are true, if we are already blessed, if we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places above all principalities and powers, if we are already forgiven, if every handwriting of ordinance against us has already been wiped out, then why must we still war? Why do we have to engage in any form of warfare if we are already victorious, if we are already above, if we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places, if all things have already been done for us, if it is finished, where is the place of warfare in our Christian experience anymore? (laughs) Stay with me. This is the question that we are trying to answer even today. The first premise of our warfare is the reality that the believer is in two locations at the same time. The believer is in two locations at the same time. What do I mean by that? You are seated with Christ in heavenly places, yet you have to walk on the earth. So you are both in heaven and on earth at the same time. So this creates a dichotomy, this creates a clash, this creates a contradiction, this creates a tension that you are both above and yet walking on the earth at the same time. You are already blessed with all spiritual blessings, but note that Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 tells you the locations of all these spiritual blessings. It says you are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places above. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, yet you have to live and walk on the earth. So this creates a tension, this creates a dichotomy, this creates a conflict, this creates a contradiction for us. Let me try to illustrate it to you so that you can can really understand what I'm talking about. And the best illustration that God has given me for this was when I relocated, I was sent on mission here into the United Kingdom and I relocated from Nigeria to the United Kingdom. Now, I was not able to bring all of my possessions from Nigeria into the United Kingdom when I initially came. So I had some very good books that I really particularly uh, uh, liked, but I left them back in Nigeria and I moved here into London, into the United Kingdom. Uh, Guess what? The books that were mine in Nigeria, were they still mine? Somebody answer, Facebook, YouTube, were they still mine? Of course, they were still mine. But where were they? They were in Nigeria while I was in the United Kingdom. Nobody could debate with me whether the books were mine or they were not mine. They were mine. But they were in a different location from where I currently was. So I needed to find a way to move what was mine in Nigeria from Nigeria to where I was or I am in the United Kingdom. 
now I, I, I had to transfer it. I had to translate it from where it was in, 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 in heavenly places <laughs> in Nigeria to where I am in the United Kingdom, in London at that particular point in time. And this illustration paints the picture of what I'm trying to get you to see. That you are already blessed, you are already victorious, you already have everything that you need in heavenly places. But now you have to transfer those things that you have in heavenly places to your current location on the earth. How do you do this? You do this by faith and by prayer and by spiritual warfare. All right, I'm starting to lay the foundation. I'm starting to get you to see where spiritual love warfare is coming into the picture. So, for example, I have these books. I have these possessions in Nigeria. They are fully in my name. They are my property. But here I am in the United Kingdom. So I order for them to be transferred here. On their way here, maybe they meet some opposition on their way here. Maybe they meet some questions on their way here. And I now have to produce more evidence as to the fact that these books or these possessions are actually mine. This is a uh, the spiritual warfare I'm talking about that you already are blessed. You've already got it. You are already resourceful. You are already the head and not the tail. You are already above and not beneath. But that's a spiritual reality that you now have to engage in spiritual warfare, prayer and faith to translate it from the spiritual reality into a, an earthly experience. Now, some would suggest that the truth of our already victory in Christ Jesus eliminates any need for warfare, but this is inaccurate uh, because the New Testament in itself is replete with all sorts of injunctions to warfare. So the, the, the fact that we understand, that we grasp, we are rooted and established in the finished work of Christ Jesus does not mean that we still don't have to engage in spiritual warfare. But now that spiritual warfare has a different premise. That spiritual warfare does not negate, negate the fact of the finished work, does not negate the fact that all that he said is mine is mine. Let me go through a few of the scriptures that establish the fact that spiritual warfare is a New Testament reality. It's not just an Old Testament thing. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter three, chapter 10, verse 3 to 4, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. It says we do not war after the flesh, but we war. It does, it does indicate clearly here that we are engaged in warfare. It tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So we have weapons of warfare. We would not need to have weapons of warfare if we did not have a warfare to prosecute. So it's establishing once again that there is a warfare. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It says we wrestle not, but we wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle. So it's establishing that we do have a wrestle. It's just not against 
flesh and blood. Yet again, it talks about the same principalities and powers that we learnt. Remember, in the book of Colossians, we said that Jesus has already disarmed all principalities and powers. But the same Paul that wrote that in Colossians in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we wrestle against these same principalities and powers that have been disarmed. How does this work? These same principalities and powers that have been disarmed by Jesus, and that Jesus put to a public spectacle, he says that we are still wrestling against them. It's going to make sense. Stay with me. This is a master class on spiritual warfare. Jesus himself said in the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19, he says, he said he was talking to, to Simon who had caught the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. And in response to that accurate revelation, he told um, Simon that, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is, at, who is in heaven and your name will now be Peter. And he says unto you, your name are Peter, uh, is Peter and upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, Jesus is talking about the future here. He says that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven because he couldn't give them the keys then. Why couldn't he give them the keys then? Because the, the requirements had not been fully paid for then. The requirement of somebody dying in the place of mankind, which Jesus did. It was only after his death and his resurrection that he now delivered to us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? If you are hearing me what I'm saying on, on any of the platforms, say yes, amen. I receive it. I believe it. Hallelujah. Uh, he, he says that in this same te text, he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that he is building. So in other words, he's telling us that we're going to be engaged in warfare. He's telling us that the gates of hell will attempt to operate against us. The gates of hell would arrayed against us. Now, you come to understand gates in the Old Testament. We understand the gates was were, were where the elders met to decide policy, to de decide strategy, to decide the direction of the city. So when the scripture talks about the gates of hell, it's talking about the strategies, the schemes, the plot, the agenda of hell will not prevail against the church that Christ is building. This obviously talks about conflict. It's talking about spiritual warfare. And he says that he will give us the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which keys he has now given us through his death and his resurrection. And it, what are these keys for? He says the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These are the keys, listen, 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 to unlock heaven on the earth. These are keys to unlock heaven on the earth, to unlock what I already have in heaven, to unlock my blessed estate in heaven, to unlock all, all that I have in heaven, to be able to unlock it on the earth. No wonder Jesus taught his disciples already preempting the future, saying that this is how to pray. Pray that my will will be done on earth, my kingdom will come even as it is in heaven. So it is through spiritual warfare that we, we translate what we have in the heavens down to the earth. Another key scripture, the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, this charge I give to you, son 
Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy. According to the prophecies that have been spoken over your life concerning you, that by them, by the prophecies, you may wage a good warfare. By the prophecies that have spoken over you, I need you to wage a good warfare. This scripture is powerful in this. This charge was given by Paul to Timothy and and it is still being given to all of us today. He says, wage a good warfare. So again, it establishes that we have a warfare to wage. We have a warfare to embark on. We have a warfare to prosecute. Believer, you are engaged in warfare. You have a warfare that you are meant to be prosecuting. And when we look closely to this text, this text actually goes against our traditional understanding of prophecy because it says that he should wage a good warfare with the prophecies that have been spoken over his life. It goes against our traditional understanding of prophecy because our traditional understanding of prophecy suggests that prophecy is automatic, that if it has been prophesied, it's going to happen no matter what. But he still needs us to agree with the warfare, with the prophecy, and then wage a good warfare with the prophecy. So a prophecy is not an unchangeable foretelling. For him to ask us to wage uh, warfare with the prophecy, it is to suggest that if we do not, the prophecy might not come to pass. So listen to me. Prophecies are arsenal. They're actually arsenal. They are weapons of war. Whenever you hear a prophecy, God has just given you an arsenal. He's just giving you a weapon that you are meant to use to wage a good warfare. So we see that under the new covenant, we still have a warfare to prosecute. Hallelujah. I hope I, I hope that looking at all those scriptures that I've just given you, that I've, I've been able to convince you without a shadow of doubt. It says the scripture, it says that let every word be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I've given you more than two or three witnesses in the new covenant, under the new covenant, that cl- makes it clear that we are engaged in warfare. But what is different about our warfare? What makes our warfare different from the warfare that the was in the old covenant in the in the old testament first it's a spiritual warfare and not a physical one we wrestle not against flesh and blood the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through god so at first and foremost our warfare is not physical our warfare is spiritual and whenever in the body of christ we are talking about warfare we're not saying go and pick up physical arms go and get ak-47s or bombs or anything like that that devil is a liar that's not our warfare we do not we not engage in warfare with by natural means but by spiritual and supernatural Woo! by supernatural means but there is a deep deeper difference in our warfare to that which was prosecuted under the old covenant. The big difference in our warfare is, listen, catch it, catch it, catch it, is that this warfare is not really a warfare for victory. It's a warfare from victory. Hallelujah. Ah, glory to God. I feel like dancing a jig right there. Amen. You see how this does not contradict or anything that has been said about the finished work? When we engage in warfare now, we are not engaging in warfare 
for victory. We are engaging in warfare from victory because we know we are already victorious. We know that we are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We know that we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. We know that we are already the head and not the tail. So our warfare is not for victory. Victory is not even in the equation now. That's already a done deal. We are already victorious. You are already victorious in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what you are going through right now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you are facing right now, but you are already victorious in Christ Jesus. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Who always, always means at all times and in all our ways. This is it. We are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are already above all principalities and powers. We are already victorious. So our warfare is not for victory, but from victory. Hallelujah. 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 This. So we engage in warfare, listen to me, from a premise of knowing that we are already victorious. We were from victory, listen to this, to keep the victory. We were from victory to keep the victory, to protect the victory. This is a, a very important demar- demarcation for you to grasp because, listen, if you do not know that you are already victorious, Uh, You have started your warfare already from a defeated position. If you are still wondering whether you are victorious or not, and you get into the into the boxing ring, into the wrestling ring, onto the battlefield field, you have already put yourself in a position of potential defeat simply because you did not realize, hallelujah, that you were victorious before you stepped into the boxing ring, before you stepped into the wrestling ring, before you stepped onto the battlefield, you were already victorious. Often our losses in battle are traceable to identity crisis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Identity crisis, not understanding that you are already the victor and not the victim. This is the great deception of the devil to convince you that you are not what you already are. So do you you start to see how deep this, this thing is? If you are engaging in warfare, spiritual warfare, with any doubts as to whether you are victorious or not, you are already putting yourself as a at disadvantage and giving the devil an upper hand because this is exactly what he did with Eve. He convinced Eve that she was not what she already was. We need to be brainwashed, washed by the water of God's word to our already victorious estate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness. We give God all the glory. If there's nothing else you get out of tonight's teaching, this strong foundation is simply for you to know I'm victorious. I'm not afraid of devils. I'm not afraid of demons. I'm not afraid of witches or wizards, warlocks or sorcerers. Why? Because I'm already victorious in Christ Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Type it into the feed on Facebook or YouTube even right now. 
Now, the Apostle Paul, in what I call his professorial thesis, which is the book of Ephesians, he delineates the passage to this victorious warfare. But before I go into his pathway to that victorious warfare that's going to give us a whole lot of insight, I'll go to the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, uh, This scripture is actually showing us all the wrong ways to walk, to stand and to sit is not just the wrong way to stand uh, to, 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 to walk to stand and to sit it's also the wrong sequence did you get that it's not just the, the wrong way to walk stand and sit it's also the wrong sequence so he's telling you that he that is ungodly will walk in the counsel of the ungodly he will stand in the path of sinners and he will sit in the seat, seat of the scornful uh, oh yes Uh, And this only leads to defeat. Listen, the the thing about this pathway of walking, then standing, and then sitting is that this is the pathway of self-righteousness. You walked first uh, in the counsel of the ungodly. Then you stood in the path of sinners. And then that made you feel self-righteous and confident enough to sit in the seat of the scornful, looking down on everybody else with a consideration condescending attitude ah uh, yes judging everybody else because you feel I've walked I've stood now I can sit and judge others uh, now I have a right and that actually only leads to defeat in spiritual warfare but God says this is not the pathway that I want for you and Paul in Ephesians shows us the right pathway. He doesn't want you in a pathway that you draw your rights, your righteousness, your confidence to win warfare in your own labor because all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. So when Paul starts to teach us in the book of Ephesians, the first thing that Paul teaches us, he teaches us to sit. Somebody say sit. He teaches us to sit. The first few chapters of the book of Ephesians, all that Paul is telling us about is the finished work. He's telling us that we are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's telling us that we are redeemed. He's telling us that we are forgiven. He's telling us that we are accepted in the beloved. He's telling us that uh, we have a hope of a calling, uh, a great glorious inheritance on the inside of us. He's telling us that great power has been given to us. All of this is trying to establish you fully in the finished work, fully in your seated position. Linchpin to the early uh, expositions of Paul in the book of Ephesians is that verse 6 of the second chapter, that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. So the first thing that Paul is telling you is not to walk, is not to stand, but rather to sit. To sit and accept what has already been done for you. To sit and accept 
that you are already above all. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then the next few chapters, after he tells us to sit, he now tells us to walk. What is he telling us to do? To walk from our seated position. Now that we know who we are in Christ, now that we know our status and our position in Christ Jesus, now he wants you to walk walk it out. Walk with that, not work, walk with that 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 consciousness uh, let the let the, the your knowledge of your seated, seated position overflow into your living relationship so he starts to tell us about how the relationship should be between master and servant servant and master parent and child child and parent husband and wife and so on and so forth he tells us that we should walk worthy of our vocation of our calling of our seated position in Christ Jesus before he then tells us to stand. Hallelujah. Finally, he tells us to stand. So he doesn't start with standing. He doesn't start with walking. He starts with sitting. So the divine sequence is sit, walk, stand. You start with sitting. Sit down. I need to preach and prophesy to somebody. I need to instruct somebody. Even today, sit down. You've been trying so much to earn it by your own works, labor, and self-righteousness. No! It's time for you to sit down. Sit in the finished work of Christ. And after being fully marinated in the finished work of Christ, then let it let that overflow into a natural walk in right living relationships with everybody you have to have a relationship with and then your spiritual warfare is actually that of standing in the book of Ephesians and chapter 6 the, the famed scripture that talks about spiritual warfare from which multiple people will teach about spiritual warfare is in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 13 to and I'm going to read it to verse 14a it says therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand then the beginning of verse 14 stand therefore three times he tells us to stand here he says that you that that you should take on the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand 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 what does it mean to withstand it means to stand against what is coming against you he wants you to be able to withstand having done all to stand what is the all that you need to have done to stand you the all that you needed to have done to stand is sit walk then stand Woo! hallelujah then he says stand there for Hallelujah. The word that is translated stand in this text means to occupy. It is the word that means histamine and antihistamine. Now, the word histamine is akin to the word histamine. Now, medical people understand what histamines are and antihistamines are. Uh, when, when, when an antihistamine is administered to you, it goes and occupies a receptor site so that nothing else can come and occupy that same receptor site that has already been occupied by the antihistamine. So sometimes if we know that you normally have an allergic reaction to a particular drug, we will first of all give you an antihistamine. Some people understand what I'm talking about. So that the antihistamine will go and occupy all of those receptor sites that trigger the itching reaction in you. Then we give you the drug that you normally react to. But this time, because the receptor sites that trigger your anaphylaxis 
anaphylactic, your allergic, your uh, uh, itching reaction have been already occupied. That drug can't occupy the same receptor sites and so cannot trigger the reaction you would normally have. Now, if you understand that, you start to understand uh, that when God says, stand, withstand, stand therefore, having done all to stand, what he's actually telling us to do is to occupy. Occupy. Jesus says, occupy till I come. This is redefining our spiritual warfare. That our spiritual warfare is actually about occupying. Your occupation is to occupy. Occupy what? Occupy the finished work of Christ. Occupy the victory that has already been given to you. Occupy everything that God has given to us. Hallelujah. So we see that even in this classic text about spiritual warfare, he's not so much talking about taking territory, although we will use languages of we need to take new territories. He's more talking about occupying territory that has already been taken for us by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Sit, walk, stand. So why do we stand? I'm closing out tonight. Why do we stand? Why do we, or rather, why do we war? Why we war? The question that we're dealing with to lay the foundation tonight. Why we war? Number one, we war because of the contradiction between our spiritual reality and our current earthly experience. Number two, we war because of the dichotomy, very similar to number one, between heaven and earth. Number three, we war because of opposition, because we know there is an opponent, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, all these things. We war because of opposition. Number four, we war, listen, because we are victorious. The very fact that we are victorious makes us to war, to keep that victory. We are warring not for victory, but from victory to keep the victory. <claps> Whoo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And and when you go back to as I as I close, I, I want to provoke some people in the place of prayer right now. Hallelujah! Bashotoria sandaria. When we go back to the pilot text in the book of Joel, where it talks about prepare ye war. Uh, build, be, beat your plowshares into spears, um, your pruning hooks into swords, and, uh, hooks into swords, and all of that. It then starts talking about multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Hallelujah. We war, number five, for the souls of men. This is the heart of our warfare. We, if you are saved, you are saved. Hallelujah. You are already victorious. You are already blessed. You are already seated with Christ in heavenly places above all principalities and powers. But what about your brothers and your sisters and your friends and your colleagues, the man on the street that is not yet saved? So our warfare is actually for 
other men. Paul would say that I travail, say that I travail in birth till Christ be, be formed in you. Paul would teach us that if anyone is resistant to our gospel, it's because the God of this world has blinded their mind from seeing the glorious light of the gospel. So we war to unbind their minds, to cause them to see the glorious gospel. So at the heart of our warfare is not all about us. It's actually about the salvation of so many others. This is actually at the heart of our warfare and often is not emphasized and it is not taught enough because we unfortunately have a culture where it's all about what I need, what I want to get, how I want this, that, and the other. It's all right. God doesn't mind you having those things. But really, our warfare is about the souls of men, about getting other men saved that they might come to the knowledge of the truth that Christ has already paid the price for them. This is why we war. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. We're going to go further next week. You are going to be blessed off the hook next week as we go deeper. Like I said, it's a master class on spiritual warfare. It's a master class on spiritual warfare. Uh, it's going to be great. It's absolutely going to be great. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. If you've been blessed tonight, you need to go out of your way and remind other people and tell them, stop missing midweek life classes. Stop missing these times of teaching. That is, that's the devil cheating you out on what's meant to empower you for true liberty. If you are out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's you that we are praying for. It's you that we are doing spiritual warfare for. This is your opportunity to surrender your life to Christ Jesus. If you're ready to do so, please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for paying the price for me, dying in my place. Today, I repent of my sin. I believe with my heart. I confess with my mouth you as my Lord and my Savior. By faith right now, I am born again. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are indeed born again. Hallelujah. Welcome to the body of Christ. I'm so elated to have you as my brother and my sister. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I want you to grow in the Lord. I want you to become established in the truths of God's word. And we want to help you to do that. So please contact us on the details that are on the screen or direct message us on any of our social media platforms. And we will help you to be established in the Lord. And let me tell you something that's critical in this age. You need to be planted in a church. There are a lot of great churches all over the city of, of London and in the UK and I dare say across the world. Uh, and I, if anyone that's close to you, I'd recommend that you get in touch with them. But I would also further want to recommend to you this great house, House on the Rock London. It's the place to be where everybody can be somebody. So if you're looking for a local assembly to belong and 
can be part of. We our hearts are open, our doors are open to receive you to be part of us. So just get in touch with us and let's help you to grow in the Lord. We can't close out tonight's service without giving an opportunity for you to give to the Lord in your offerings and in your tithe. So the details as the various ways in which you can give are being shown on the screen now. Please choose the way most preferred by you. I want to encourage you that you give unto the Lord. You give generously. You give abundantly. It takes a lot of finance for us to continue to advance the kingdom of God through this ministry. I pray blessings upon every giver and every gift that is given. I decree and declare that Jehovah Jireh will show up with supply for you in your various situations, in your various circumstances, in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, thank you. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, we do pray. Amen and amen. Let's close out this service with a word of prayer. Mighty Father, let the seed of your word and the great discoveries and great illumination that has come as a result of this word bring forth great results and testimonies in the lives of the hearers in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Let's share the grace and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Looking forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.